Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Son of a Grace podcast, where we exist to go deeper with the Sunday message and to build a bridge with our community and our church family to connect you to the message at a deeper, more personal level. The whole gang is back together. We're back. I'm so glad you can join us this time. Well, I joined us the first time, but somebody didn't record it properly. <laughs> oh. If you're listening, I'm pointing to Dusty, but it's fine. It's fine. We all have different roles. So let's... Listen, uh, man, when you do all the work, sometimes you got to take all the blame. That's true. <laughs> That is true. He does do all the work for us. I'm happy about yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, oh, let's do our let's do our introductions and our weekly check in. We'll start my left, your right. The Dusty. Legendary. Hello. Welcome. I'm excited to be here. Weekly check in. What's been going on in your world this week? Uh, was that the question? I thought you were just going to introduce it my was name. Both and. It's fine. All right. So uh, what's been going on this week? You know, uh, the most exciting thing that happened this week. Actually, I got to go to a concert of a band I've never really seen before down in Cincinnati. That was really? awesome. Yeah. Who was the band? Uh, the, nobody would ever know. It's it's nerd music for nerds. That's what I call it. It's the kind of music that only musicians that are really nerdy would ever appreciate. I mean, do you want to give them a shout out? Was it good? Sure. Yeah, it was a great concert. Yeah, the band was Haken. It's a, a mm. band from Britain. And this is their first time touring the United States in a good while. And I've never caught them before. So it was a blast. Love that. You and the missus or just you? No, the missus doesn't go to concerts with me. Ask her why. <laughs> because why, we don't Nicole? appreciate Because <laughs> she likes reggae and I'm not a reggae person and she kind of hates everything else and I'm an everything else person. Now, there's a couple bands we go to together that we can both enjoy, but my music's either too weird and nerdy or too aggressive and hers is very relaxed and the stuff I like. I don't know if it's the ADHD, like it relaxes me and it makes her a nervous wreck. Okay. Yeah. All right, uh, Reverend, what about you? <laughs> How am I going to follow I that? Don't I don't know, know either. That's why I passed to you. Wow. That's what I'm here uh, for. Hi, I'm Dave, if, if you're new to the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we uh, had a very chill overall week. Everybody was finally healthy-ish, uh, and uh, it was great. Didn't, didn't do anything, and I love it. That's my, that's my, that's, <laughs> sometimes those are the best highlights, though, right? Like it was highlights. a normal week and nothing disastrous. I coached, I coached uh, basketball on Saturday. We won again. My competitive nature. Well, yeah. My competitive nature came out because we were uh, pretty close the whole game. And so when it's a challenge, I, I kind of turn it on a little bit and it can get ugly. So I try to tamper, tamper mm. that down a little bit. Appreciate that. Yeah. Appreciate yeah. That. I am a bit competitive. <laughs> And I'm Tony, <laughs> also competitive. Um, this week, uh, probably the highlight for me is I get to do a marriage retreat, which is something I enjoy doing. I did that up in uh, Troy, Ohio, near a small town near Castown. There were 27 couples. And what I'm most excited about, I shared it with you last night, is, uh, is this brand new acronym I came up with as I was kind of prepping, going over the material. Sometimes I like to add in new stuff to freshen it up. Just for me, really, because no one else has seen the material other than Karen, um, and she's supportive no matter what. And so, most of the time. And <laughs> and so he here's the acronym. Here's the acronym. Um, give your spouse your whole bod. B O D. Benefit of the doubt. So if you're married, you're listening to this, and you're thinking, "What can I do today to strengthen my marriage?" Hey. Give your spouse your whole bod. Yeah, that's a good one. It's classic. Like it. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're a dad, you can call it your dad, dad bod. bod. <laughs> Sad you didn't use that earlier in our conversation. Uh, well, I was setting it up for you. Thank you. <laughs> Speaking of you, let's uh, let's go to this week's scripture. As you know, if you've been following along, we're doing the um, the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. 
this week we're in the fifth chapter. We're going to look at verses 27 through 39. Pastor Jesse, why don't you give us a whirl on that? 27 to 39. All right, so this is out of the NIV. And it says this, if I go past 39, just stop me, okay? Because I'm really bad with directions. So it says, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus again answered, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. So much text. We can keep going if you want to. Should I keep going? I told you I was bad with directions. I was waiting for a just, visual cue. Just through the end of chapter five. Yeah. Oh, well, that would have been much easier to say. Dave, you give the instructions the next time. Okay. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. We're going to pull it together, guys. The verse 37, and no one pours new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wine skins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wine skins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for they say the old is better. Well done. Well done. How did you Finish. make it through seminary? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it wasn't seminary. It was called divinity school. It was different. It was different. It was different. <laughs> I still don't know what the difference is, but apparently it's different. Uh, so there's obviously there's so much to cover in this text as there is every single week as we're trying to make it through the gospel of Luke. Um, Pastor Dave, when you think about this sermon, what would you say is like the one major takeaway that, that you came away with this and um, as you looked at the scope of the text? Yeah, just what I mentioned on Sunday was the the newness of what Jesus was doing in every possible way. And when we try, when we try to take anything of the old and mix it with the new, it's just it just won't work. It'll, it's going to blow something up, and it's not it's not going to be what Jesus wanted. And so the idea of man letting go of the old and and recognizing all of the old and what that is and letting go of that is so important. And, and really, I, the, the phrase that really always catches me is when Jesus says, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better, quotes the old is better, as if it was better, but it's not. But that's the, the temptation to think the old way of living, I got to keep going back to that. And that's what we do in every our everyday life yeah. is wanting to go back to the old, old old thinking, old way of relating, and it's just it's never good. So you know, I, when I hear something like this, I often think about the Israelites and their desire to go back uh, to Egypt, yep. right? In the Exodus story, like and, five minutes after they <laughs> we just the left, we just left, we had all these plagues to get out. Let's yeah. go back. Let's it's, go back. It's safe. But I, I I love what you're teaching here and what you're saying here, but. Uh, one of the questions that I had as I was listening to the message is to wrestle with this idea, and, and Dusty, let's start with you on this. Like, w- where 
is the proper place to put the old as we embrace the new? Like, what do we do with it? Oh man, I think we, I think we recognize it for what it is, right? We don't like when we start to follow Jesus, we don't instantly become the totality of what Jesus calls us to be, right? There's a process there. So we have to figure out what do we do with the old parts of us that are still around that we're always going to keep fighting over until, you know, sanctification fully happens, whether you agree it's, you know, this possible, this side of heaven or on the other side of heaven. Um, we can debate that later, but, um, you, you always have to recognize where you came from because that's part of your testimony, mm. right? You can't just say, Hey, I used, to, I was never this, I'm a brand new creature in Christ, but there's, there's power in saying, here's who I was. And here's the ways that I still, you know, struggle with my own flesh. And that just becomes part of our evolving story. And testimony is one of the most important pieces that we have to give people who are looking how to follow Jesus more closely. Cause I can say as a pastor, like I don't follow Jesus perfectly by any means. And just being honest with people about that gives them the freedom to say, Hey, I'm not there yet, but I, I can see what I'm trying to strive for. And I think that's, that's just honesty of the human experience. Yeah, for sure. If, if you did follow Jesus perfectly, you would have read all the scripture that I said. So Dave, what about you? (laughs) I follow Jesus closer than I follow you. As a pastor, Jesus is my boss. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Can you tell we're having fun on this podcast? Uh, we finally did it. We what about what it. about you? How are you? Where are you putting the new old stuff in the new stuff? Yeah, old gives context to the new. Old is old comes first for a reason because it gives context and helps the new become that much more glorious and attractive. And to me, I think that's. If you don't understand the old, you won't appreciate the new. So it's it's okay to understand the old. If we're talking about the religious system and the rules and the rituals and, and all those things that, that the uh, Jewish people would consider the old in the Old Testament, the old laws. But without that, we don't really appreciate the new. Like if we don't understand the old sacrifices and the sacrificial system and, and the worship and all that that came with that, you won't understand what Jesus did and and the gravitas of the weight of that and what that frees us from. So I think I think we need to understand the old when it comes to that part of it. Now our old life, I don't know if you were referencing more of the old life versus the new life or the old. You're just you're just asking the question. I love it. So it's great. So the old old religion, yeah, it gives context. Um, and I think we need it. I think people need to understand the Old Testament. And they don't, unfortunately, as much anymore have have that uh, literacy of the Old Testament and understanding what what was expected and now what Jesus did for us in fulfilling the law. And I think we need to have that. I once heard Andy Stanley talk about this idea about operating systems with like iPhones. And one of the things he said that really uh, resonated with me is that we can't get to the latest operating system if we didn't have the old operating system. They're literally built on top of each other. And so that idea of context for me is that's an image that I kind of like it, it, it takes the old improves replaces. Like you're not going to go back and use that old operating system. Right. It literally won't work on your phone. Um, you know, and those kind of things I think are, are super important when we consider, um, the old and the new as it pertains to the covenant specifically and what Jesus brings to the table. Yeah. And so I, th- I thought that was a really good piece of the message. Another thing that I think is worth diving in on is this um, idea about surrender. You talked about uh, why do two people surrender? And I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of a deeper, because I think you could have preached a whole sermon just on those on this question and your answer because it was so nuanced. So I, I don't want any of our church family to miss the nuance of this answer because it's it really is better suited for a long form yeah. uh, platform than it is just a sermon. 
Yeah, so I asked the question, why do people surrender? And I thought about that as I was putting my sermon together, and I came up with two main reasons, uh, fear and faith. And at first, I was kind of like, well, it's an either-or. Um, you know, people surrender because of a fear that whatever the path, if I don't stop and if I don't surrender, give up, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And so there's a fear of what is to come if I don't change my course. Um, but there's also people who surrender because of what they're giving up. They know is less than what they're going to get in return when they surrender. And I reference marriage and other other things like that. So, um, and then I thought about it. it's really a, a both and at the end of the day. I think most times when we surrender, we and I think it starts probably oftentimes with fear. And fear, when it comes to Christianity, is often pitched as a negative, which it is. I sorry, I hit my microphone. That's my fault. Look at that echo. Mm-hmm. My fault. Uh, they see fear as a negative, and it is a negative. But in this case, we're all built with a sense of fear, a healthy fear of knowing there's danger on the other side of that fence, so don't cross the fence. And I think there's a fear that is good when we recognize the path is leading us to danger, to more pain, and ultimately to death, and I need to get off this path. And I think that's a wake-up call. So, But ultimately, for us to change, it's not just a fear, but it's a faith that what we're going to is better, and it does bring life, and we can trust, uh, trust in the goodness of whatever we're putting our, our faith in. So coming to Jesus, there is, I think, for people, a fear. Like, I, I don't want to keep going down this path, but at the same time, I have to trust that what, what I'm moving towards is going to hold me, and it's going to be good for me, that, that Jesus has my best interest in mind. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point, because, like, you know, any time we grow in any area of our lives, it starts with a little bit of trepidation, right? Because Absolutely. there's going to be, by definition, there's going to be discomfort in the growth because we can't grow in the things that we're comfortable with. And like, you can ask anybody at any church, maybe our church excluded, but probably not right. When we're asking, when we're looking for something to change, it's a scary thought. And there's not a person on this earth. I don't think that loves the idea of changing once they're comfortable. Right. Would you agree with that? I mean, maybe there's some masochists out there, but for the most part, people, people are really afraid of change because even if we know it's going to be good for us, it, we know it involves some giving up something of ourselves, even if the thing that we're giving up, we know is unhealthy for us. So like whether you start to exercise, like, oh, am I going to be able to do this every day? When you get married, it's like, am I going to be able to give up my selfish ways because I know this is going to grow me? And there's part of that I know may be good for me in the long run, but it's terrifying. and It's going to be really uncomfortable in the short term. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the things that's interesting about this, too, is that the the more that you drill down on this, the more specific it comes to parts of the relationship. Mm. And so like, I I don't really have much, uh, I feel like I've surrendered my life to Jesus, Mm. right? Like I've said yes to Jesus. He's my Lord and savior would be lost without him. Now I need to drill down on that next part, right? Maybe it's ego. Uh, One of the things that I wrestle with is control, right? And so how do I surrender control to Jesus, right? And so what I like about this imagery is that it is, it's faith and fear, both, when it comes to me surrendering my control. And I, I would imagine there's a lot of our church families listening who's like, I just don't know how to surrender very well. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on how you go about surrendering. 
I would say the first step is acknowledging your feelings towards it mm. to Jesus. I don't want to surrender this or I'm struggling surrendering. Like just acknowledging that out loud to him, I think is always a great first step. Yeah, that's good. I remember hearing a sermon one time. Um, I don't remember who it was or how many years ago it was, but it talked about, do we really want to give up something sinful in our life? Because, you know, that same person I think said later on the message is like, Hey, until you actually don't want that in your life, you're not going to fix that in your life. And then the question in my head was like, but we're kind of, you know, we're driven to really want the things that even we know are bad for us. Like I really want to go out and eat 35 donuts today because that sounds delicious. I know it's bad for me. And I can't honestly say to myself most of the time, okay, I truly hate that. I will have that desire. It's like, no, I really like the desire. That's what makes it a desire. Cause it's fun, right? Sin is fun. There's parts of our lives that are fun that we have to be willing to give up even when we know it's, you know, it, it feels really good in the moment. Mm. Right. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that, but it, it's, it's just a hard thing to really want to give up something that even though, you know, it may not be good for you, it, you know, you need to do it anyways. And there's some kind of wrestling there when it comes to how we approach our faith and how we approach God. It's like, all right, God, if I don't have the heart yet to want to give this up, give me the heart that wants to want to give this up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's like change my heart in some way because clearly there's a wall there somewhere. Right. And acknowledging too, that, that part of me that wants it isn't really me anymore. It's the sin nature in me mm -hmm. and, yeah. and divorcing those two realities from each other going, yeah, it's not really my desire. It is my desire, but it's not anymore. It's not who I am anymore as a Jesus follower. Yeah, that's right. And that's the downside of sin. Sin is fun. Like if we're just going to be Absolutely. real honest about it, if yeah. it wasn't fun, people wouldn't be driven to do it. Yeah. The consequences of sin are not fun. That's not fun. And, <laughs> right. that's, Absolutely. and that takes us to growth, right? right. That is there's what it is always, to grow. There's sure. always a consequence for sin. And so, you know, I think, I think this is why prayer is such an important part. Like that intentional dialogue is so important is that, when we th think about surrendering, you're like, hey, the first thing is acknowledging it. The second thing is is like going in depth regularly in the relationship that I have with Jesus to to talk about it, right? Even if that's like well, oh, uh, that prayer, right? Like I, I believe, help my unbelief mm -hmm. kind of moments. And so I think oftentimes with things, which is, you know, why I can say that I still struggle with control but the control at 40 looks way different than it did at 20. Yeah. Right. Praise the Lord. Right. Like it, that's, you know, for all of us, right. Because at 20 years old, life is just a lot different than what it is now. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other parts of the message that was super intriguing is this idea about radical call, care and connection. Mm. Right. And, and that was kind of one of the overarching themes. Um, what makes something radical? That was one of the questions I had as I was taking notes and thinking like, what's the difference between just regular call, care and connection and what's radical call, care and connection? Yeah, because it was so new, so different, it was so unique compared to what the um, Pharisees, other religious leaders, rabbis, even the thinking of that day, it was all different than what Jesus was doing, right? Nobody, no rabbi would go call a tax collector. Not even, they wouldn't even, you know, obviously even consider it for a second. And here's Jesus going, I, I see something in this guy. I see some potential there and I'm willing to call him. I think that was a radical call. Mm. Yeah. And I think on Sunday you classified the tax collector as what like, it was like, hey, prostitution was here. You know, tax collector was somewhere way down way, below that. Right. They had their own and, category, prostitutes, sinners. That's yeah. one category, but tax collector underneath that. 
nobody wanted to hang out with a tax collector. Mm. Dust, any thoughts on what makes something radical? Like what makes something radical? And I'm going to nuance the question a little bit for you. Sure. In in today's world, what would you describe as a radical um, approach, right? Like what makes it instead of just a normal approach, what makes it radical? Yeah. Okay. So this is something I've been thinking out about a lot lately. Um, that, you know, I talked to you, Dave, uh, you know, a few days ago at your place, I'm yeah. just like, Hey, there's, there's some radical ideas that have been floating in my mind of what does it look like to really follow Christ? Cause you know, when you've got Levi, you've got the passage and Jesus just says, Hey, come follow me like that. First of all, we wouldn't take anybody at their word like that today. Right. If somebody comes and says, Hey, I want you to completely live, leave your life and come follow me. Like we don't understand the magnitude of what that actually looked like for him to even think about it. Like if somebody comes up to my door is like, Hey, come follow me, drop everything you're doing. I'm like, who on earth are you? Like, who do you think you are coming to my door? I don't know you. <laughs> like yeah. you have no relational credibility with Unless me. you're selling girls got cookies. Don't stop at my house. And, well, right? yeah, like, yeah. And, and I do the joke in our house is I do have a knack for saying yes to anything that a kid is selling. Cause I'm like, well, I can't say no. Like I feel very guilty about that. So if anybody needs to fundraise, just come to my house and I'll write whatever check you want. <laughs> um, but so this call to follow, to follow God, what does that look like? today. And I think here's the, here's the radical nature of what God is actually calling us to do. All right. Most of us in my observations, um, just in the, in the Christian circles, I kind of hang with and people that I know approach faith like this. They say, Hey, I want to follow Jesus, but I want to set my own timeline first. I want to live the li- live my life the way that I've set up my life, but I want to add Jesus into it. Right. I want to, you know, for lack of a better word, I want to sprinkle Jesus on top of my life. So that way Jesus blesses the life that I've already felt called to live, even maybe before I knew Jesus, but I want to add Jesus into it. So Jesus, make me aware of my workplace. Jesus, make me aware of any interaction I may have throughout the day. And if you want to do something great, if not, I'm going to keep going on my way. I'm still going to keep my schedule really busy with all the things I'm going to go from point A to point B. I'm going to take my kids to 700 different sports practices. Um, And if I have time, I'll be more spiritual with that time, but it's going to have to fit in whatever's left over. And, you know, I look at what is radical, a radical way to follow Jesus today, I think is to have the courage to look at our lives and say, Hey, am I willing to actually reevaluate and restructure the way that I live as a first practice instead of as a leftover practice? Mm -hmm. So as a first practice, I might say, okay, I know that every single day I need to do what Jesus did because the goal of a disciple is to follow Jesus. It's to apprentice under Jesus. It's to live the lifestyle that Jesus did and copy that, emulate that in some way. So Jesus went out to pray. You know, he found times of solitude every day. Okay, am I finding that in my life? I'm going to prioritize that first and foremost. I don't care how much stuff I've got on my radar today. I'm going to find a way to do that or at least strive for that. I'm not perfect in that, but it's something I'm working on in my life right now. And then with my time, am I giving myself, you know, capacity to actually allow God to, you know, maybe it's an encounter. Maybe I have with somebody. Do I have time and margin in my schedule to do things that God may be calling you to calling me to do that I may not even be aware of yet when I start my day and I'm willing to change around that. And then lastly, am I willing to practice a Sabbath in my life to disconnect from things? Because that's what Jesus did because he knew how the rhythms of our life needed to work as part of our spiritual formation. And, you know, to me, that's much more a radical call to what it looks like to follow Jesus now. And there's a really cool side effect to that, that if we go with person a, the character we painted, you know, with person that lives their life in a busy way and sprinkles Jesus on top of it, what we fall back on are moralistic guidelines and we become more religious. So in my head, it's like we become more like the Pharisees in moments mm. like that, where it's like, hey, I'm living my life, but I'm going to get really offended if somebody accidentally, you know, says a cuss word around me. I'm, I know that, hey, I'm going to watch Netflix all day, but I know if it comes to this show, I'm going to turn it off because that's me being spiritual, right? We don't change anything about our lives. We just 
Christianize it a little bit. Mm. And in the other way, it's like, hey, I can do more what Jesus did. I can hang with sinners. I can let stuff like that not really bother me because the call to follow Christ is not a call to wag my finger and try to make everybody more moralistic and religious, say, hey, stop using bad language around me. Right? The call is to live my life around people and create margins so that I can have room for those encounters and show people, hey, the way I'm trying to live my life is radically different than what the world says is the way to live your life. And I think there's power in that. And I think as a society, you know, there's pockets of Christians and churches that are kind of discovering that. I think one of the ways that we do that's through disciple making. We force those kind of relationships and we start to develop and invest in others. And that becomes an awesome thing. But I think that's the call to radical Christian life. That's the goal for me, at least in this phase of my life, is how do I make my life look more like Jesus's life if I start from square one? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the beautiful parts about that when we talk about radical encounters is is what you talked about in the message about being clean and unclean, right? And and how Jesus was surrounded by unclean people and remained clean because he was the source of, of cleanliness. And the same is true with the disciples and how they were powered and sent out. Um, when when you're talking to somebody who's new in the church, right, and, and we're talking about why would somebody want to be clean by Jesus? Oh, that's a big question. I know. This is a, I'm laying in the plane on this one, just wow. so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody has a deep down understanding there's something wrong with me. Mm. Whether you're... Whether no matter what you're Christian, not you know, I think there's just something there's there's just something inside of us that goes there's something not right, and um, and there's something not enough. There's something broken. I mean, there's just a lot of that that just going on inside angst. of angst yeah. going inside that. Um, I think that's what Jesus is addressing with clean and unclean, the idea of being fit for the presence of God. Like if I, if I, if I was in front of God today, I would go, I'm not ready for that. There's, I'm not, I'm not enough for that. I, there's something uh, that I, shame, guilt, whatever it is. And Jesus removes that, whatever that angst that you have, that, that not worthy enough, that clean enough, however you want to describe it, Jesus takes that away and says, no, I'm making you fit for the, that you can stand in front of the presence of God and have no fear and no angst and not, not feel like you're not enough to be there because Jesus is enough and Jesus is saying, you're with me. Mm, that's good. Any other thoughts, Dust? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that. I think there's something deep down in our conscience that, you know, if we call you know, conscience, the whisper of God that, you know, is kind of inbuilt within everybody. If we all believe that we're created in the image of God, you know, we've got this, this deep down divine something that's calling us, you know, to something deeper mm. um, that I take that from the, from the faith side, but even completely from the secular side, just to play along with anybody that may not have any belief in God whatsoever. You know, I think there is a deep yearning in our society right now to find something that's radically different than the life that many people have found right? You look at depression rates, you look at isolation rates, you look at addiction rates and everything is up. Everything is skyrocketing mm. across the board. So I think just from a purely secular humanist perspective, I think it's pretty easy to see that we're missing the mark as just as humans, there is something that we are missing that's intrinsic to how we are designed to live. That's not there. 
So like, I don't know, I, I think it's a great starting point for people with no faith whatsoever. Mm. It's like, hey, do you want something deeper? Do you want, you know, do you want to know what actual community and faith and people loving on you and praying for you actually feels like, whether you believe in the power of the prayers or not? I think there's this, this deep desire that people have to be connected into something greater than themselves. And without God, we're going to put that in a lot of different categories. We're going to put it into our politics or into our sports teams or into, you know, we're going to find a tribe somewhere. Mm. But I think all those are going to come up short. Yeah. Yep. So good. Um, that's probably a great place to end this part of the podcast. Uh, I'm really excited for this next little segment that we're going to start adding at the end of every episode, and we're calling it PRs, pastoral recommendations, things that may help you dive a little bit deeper in your relationship with Jesus, things that we're loving. They may or may not be super spiritual all the time, but I think the goal is to give you a recommendation from us on some things that uh, is maybe moving the needle for us. So, uh, Pastor Dave, I know you've got one. Let's uh, let's start yeah. with you. So, um, this was recommended to me by another pastor. Um, so, if you're a parent who has young kids, this this is a recommendation for you. It's a little book called "The Moon Is Always Round," and uh, my kids loved it uh, when I read it to them. In fact, they just want me to read it every like night to them. And it's it's a it's a really quick read, but it's a it's, it's, it's a little intense, actually, but the point of it, when the moon is always round, it's another way of saying God is always good. Mm. And the storyline is uh, this family who has uh, a young son, and they're expecting a baby, and the baby dies, and that's the heavy part of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's so. Uh, but um, the dad would always say, the moon is always round, the moon is always round. And so at the funeral, he looked to his son and said, the moon is always round, what does that mean, son? He says, God is always good. So even if you can't see the moon, even if it's a half moon, even if it's a quarter moon, it's just very concrete for young kids to know, hey, even if I can't see God's goodness, I know God is always good. Hmm. The moon is always round. And so that's the kind of little phrase that that we play around with there, you know, like, hey, the moon is always round, guys, you know? And uh, so it's just a quick, just a quick uh, recommendation for any parents who have younger kids who want to, you know, read a new book to them. It's find it on Amazon. It's great. We can put it in show notes maybe, but the moon is always round. Good. I would say a recommendation for me would be, um, we're currently reading as a life group, uh, Practicing the Way by John Mark Comer. And so uh, if you haven't checked that out yet, it's really it's got some very similar language to the disciple-making language that we like to use here. Super powerful, easy to consume, like it's very digestible. So it's not um, overly heady. It's very, John Mark has this incredible way of uh, writing so that it, it can be read by multiple um, seasons of life at the same time. So whether you're you're in an advanced thoughts season or you're in like, I got 10 minutes in the carpool line season, both both people will be really blessed by the reading. So I, I'd recommend checking it out. Uh, Practicing the Way, John Mark Comer. Am I allowed to second that? We should do like a whole podcast on that book. Oh, man. <laughs> I, would, I would love for everyone in our church to read that book at some point. Yeah, I, I think, think it's it would good. Be, I think it would be yeah, really good. super good. Christmas I, gifts maybe to the church. Right. Oh, there you go. Yeah. It's so easy to read. I read it in all in one day at the airport and on the plane. It's, it's a good book. But you have a ginormous crush on John Mark Comer. <laughs> In a theological way, not in a theological way, for sure. <laughs> really yeah. healthy, yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Dust PR. Yeah, uh, I'm going to echo that same book. I'm only halfway through. I haven't got through the whole thing, but that is what I'm reading right now is also practicing the way because I would say probably everybody at this table has been formed in a good way by good old JMC, John Mark Comer. But I would I would backtrack. The first book I read by him that really took me on this path uh, to start thinking in a different way about how I follow God was, you know, one of his previous books called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It's a great, um, which, you know, just started me to rethink what does my actual rhythm of life and faith look like and just start to process it in a different way. But my secular recommendation that's not Christian in any way, shape or form, but it was a great book was the 5am club, which is also <laughs> forming me right now in terms of developing some really healthy habits and trying to increase productivity, but in an amazing healthy way, because the more easily I can get stuff done, the more time I have to spend with God and just pursuing the things I've got. Mm, so good. Yeah. Well, friends, that's our podcast for today. As always, we're forever thankful to call you part of our church family. And hey, the highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you know is struggling with what it means to be radical or to surrender. Those are great people to share this episode with. And if you can leave us a review, wherever you listen to this podcast at, iTunes, Spotify, Google, all the different places, anywhere you can leave a review, one is always appreciated. It does help spread the word about what God is doing here. So until next time, go and make disciple makers.